listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we're talking about Nightbreed from 1990, directed and written by Clive Barker, based on his 1988 novella Cabal, starring Craig Sheffer, Anne Bobby, and David Cronenberg. And I chose this because I see it mentioned frequently in horror circles. It's got a pretty big cult following. And I think I've said this in a previous episode, Ashvin, but I feel like we've got a lot of movies by big-name horror directors that we still need to check off of our lists. Uh, And this is one of... I mean, Clive Barker hasn't directed... I was kind of surprised when I got on IMDb. He hasn't directed as many horror movies as I assumed he had, but he's still a big name. Yeah, I was really surprised. I mean, he's got such a big name, and you assume like he's got this whole legacy of horror films, but there were only like two or three that I recognized. Yeah, he directed Hellraiser, Nightbreed, and Lord of Illusions. And I thought, and I think Candyman, right? Wasn't he involved with Candyman? He wrote the short story that Candyman is based on. Oh, got it. So he's not I even the director for it, huh? Yeah, a big part of his legacy is his stories, like. He's more not. I don't know if I could say he's more of a writer than a director, but mm-hmm. volume-wise, he's written a lot more. And some of his movies have stories have been turned into movies that he's had no involvement with, other than just writing the story. Like I Candyman. see. Man, got it. So he's author first, and then movie director second. Yeah, maybe, but I don't know. I don't know if that's fair to say or not. Yeah. Yep. But like Hellraiser is huge hellraiser is a huge movie mm-hmm. horror community wise and yeah nightbreed nightbreed kind of is too although it's just kind of a cult classic yeah i saw like a I actually like it, it got pretty poor reviews when it first came out but it, it sounds like over time it's done pretty well and gained quite a following yeah indeed it has mm-hmm and, and which which uh, group like did you find this under? Because I I I, I, I kind of struggle with like categorizing this one as horror. It felt like so much more uh, fantasy and like uh, sci-fi. Uh, but is it kind of applauded in like some of the horror circles that you've been reading on? Or like, yeah, yeah yeah for sure it's a, it's horror fans are big into this. I mean you can't. It is definitely a fantasy movie, but it's definitely horror as well. Yeah. There's like a slasher element to it. Oh, yeah, I guess, right. Yeah, that, that And uh, there are monsters. Like, I think one thing that people love about this movie is the creature design. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the effects. And you can see a lot of Hellraiser in this, I think. Yep. Just with the creatures. Um, yeah. And I think that it's fair. I mean, I could... I'm going to find... I've got a lot of problems with this movie, but the creature design is good. It is, yeah. I, I was wondering, uh, the person who did it, uh, is, is it someone famous, like one of the big names for the visual effects? You know what, dude? I did not look into that, and I really should have. Yeah, I mean, that, that was one thing that really stood out. It didn't feel very CGI on those effects, and, and some of them were like pretty uh, haunting and scary, some of the visuals that you see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Some memorable images. Um... And and you, I, I know you saw Hellraiser, and that was that one funny week where... Maybe we had picked two separate movies. Was that, was that the one? Yeah, you thought we had settled on The Hills Have Eyes, and I thought we had settled on Hellraiser. <laughs> so you still haven't seen Hellraiser then, right? I still haven't seen it, no. But those movies are pretty no. interchangeable, right? 
<laughs> I don't know because I've never seen the hills have eyes. <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, but it, is like is Hellraiser like similar in terms of like the horror sci-fi fantasy um, blend, or is it like a lot different tone in this movie? Um, I would say Hellraiser is more heavily thriller. Oh, okay. Like, or not thriller, more heavily horror. Like, there's some mythology in there, but it's not like this where. You're, I think Clyde Barker is on the record as saying he wanted to make like the Star Wars of horror movies. He wanted to like create a mythology mm-hmm. that could have sequels upon sequels and like do a lot of world building. Mm-hmm. Um, and although Hellraiser does have sequels upon sequels, it wasn't as like world buildy as this. Yeah, yeah. This one, uh, yeah, total, total kind of fantasy, like developing a whole world within it and characters within it. It, it felt like he kind of went pretty far in this one in, in sort, sort of the concept and the setting. Yeah, and you could tell, I'm sure the story had a lot in it, but the movie felt crammed full of this stuff that just, like, didn't really have that much significance because they kind of rushed it. Yeah, right. So I would, I bet the story is really good. Yeah, I bet it's, like, one of those long stories that's, like, crammed it in. It sounds like he wasn't thrilled with the way it was cut and, like, kind of turned into what it, what it is today. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly which part he was unhappy about. But something to do with the the way the final movie came out, I guess, wasn't true to the book or his intent. Yeah, and he felt like the um, distributors didn't really, and the people marketing the movie didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. But and like I had read that it got marketed as a slasher. But yeah. I I looked up some of the previews on YouTube, like what I think are the original previews, and they are pretty accurate. Oh, really? It doesn't play up the slasher angle. No, not really. Unless, you know, and I can't say that whatever was showing in TV spots and theater spots as a preview back in 1989 or 1990 was what I found on YouTube. But right. I have a hard time believing this movie would have worked regardless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, we can we can get more into that later. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough one to sell because, yeah, there are so many different like angles to it. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, I don't know how to start even uh, on, on making a trailer for it. That'd be tough. Um, and speaking of big-name directors, David Cronenberg, director of The Fly, Videodrome, The Brood, Scanners, The Dead Zone, is in this as an actor. Yeah, that part was crazy. I, I didn't know he even had an acting career. Yeah, he not much of one. He's got, like, minor roles here and there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean... It, it was in... <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I can see immediately kind of why he might not be uh, an actor uh, or, you know, playing that up too much. He was kind of stiff. But yeah. It was, it was very like, stiff. Yeah. <laughs> very it, flat delivery. And it was hard to tell if that was. The I role. think that was kind of planned, but it, it didn't work in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It kind of fit the role, but yeah, it was kind of weird. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's cool that he was actually featured in, in a horror film. Yeah, yeah. And so it is, I guess it is a little bit easy to see why this could be considered a cult classic. Like, it has two horror heavyweights in it, and, like, the creature design and some of the gore alone is is pretty notable. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Those those are all the good makings of, uh, or it would make for, like, a good horror film, I guess. You yeah. Get, you get some iconic yeah. people and scenes. Uh, I should probably mention what this is vaguely about, um... Straight from IMDb, a troubled young man is drawn to a mythical place called Midian, where a variety of friendly monsters are hiding from humanity. Meanwhile, a sadistic serial killer is looking for a patsy. 
Uh, did you say a variety of friendly monsters are hiding? Yeah, and that was a big thing with like Clyde Barker, like the monsters are the good guys, and but there were definitely some monsters that were not very friendly. Yeah, I would I would describe. Uh, I, yeah, that the friendly isn't the word that comes to mind when I think of all of those monsters in there. That's it. I think they're kind of just like people. You know, there's good ones, there's bad, there's bad ones. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I think about friendly monsters, I think more of like Sesame Street and and uh, these guys. I mean, they were they were some. I mean, they were, they were like killing people in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's and uh, one of them wanted to eat our main character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not very friendly. <laughs> um, another very notable thing about this movie is that Danny Elfman did the score. Oh yeah, isn't that kind of nuts? That was nuts, and and that really stuck out to me. The whole film was like his score. It it, it reminded me a lot because so Danny Elfman, I think he was like coming up at this time, right? He had like just done Batman. And uh, I, I think he was just kind of creating a name for himself. And the, the soundtrack was really reminded me of like Batman, Batman Returns, just like over the top horns, like bells and, uh, you know, xylophones going up and down and horns and stuff. And I don't know, I, I'm not sure if it worked in this one, but what did you think? Yeah, you know, it's hard to call it a bad score. I think a lot of people think it's a very good score. Yeah. But it doesn't match the movie. Like, yeah. It's very cinematic and like big silver screen type stuff. And the yeah. movie is just it's kind of silly and schlocky and hokey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and somehow feels low budget, even though it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like the contrast of those two things is pretty crazy. Yeah, it just like it did not fit at all. Yeah. Um, and anyone who doesn't know who Danny Elfman is, yeah, like Ashvin said, he did Batman, he did Pee-wee's Big Adventure, he did the Simpsons theme song. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Edward Scissorhands, Goodwill Hunting, Avengers Age of Ultron. Yeah. The Fifty Shades of Grey movies. Wow. And, um, Before I Wake. Oh, no kidding. Your favorite. That Flanagan movie that I hated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's a very over the top uh, composer, and, and you're right, it, it is really good stuff. But in this one, it just felt odd, uh, like an odd choice to have in there. Yeah, like it for Edward Scissorhands, perfect. Yeah, or yeah. Pee Wee's Big Adventure, like a big quirky movie. But yeah, um, this one was, I guess you could call it big and quirky, but <laughs> well, <laughs> and that kind of I think uh, smudged the genre for this movie because like it's already like borderline horror and then a lot of fantasy and then you have this like over the top uh music on on top of it like as a, a soundtrack which kind of made it more magical and like mystical in in a way and so for, for me it was, it was that's like a really interesting contrast and and kind of took away some of the identity of the movie yeah yeah i don't think it, it almost would have worked better as a fantasy movie maybe i don't know i really think so yeah i, I could see this being a strong contender next to like a lord of the rings or um, other fantasy movies that people watch, it, it definitely seems like it would, I would I would say like primarily it's a fantasy movie first, and, and then yeah, elements of horror. When you think of the bare bones of the story, it's not horrible, mm-hmm. but the execution didn't turn out. And as we'll see when we get to the plot, there's really kind of two movies going at once, and I think they yeah. each would have been good on their own. Right? Yeah, I agree. And like we. Mm-hmm. We could see this story get some good treatment because uh, there's a TV series based on the book slash movie currently in the works. Oh, it's in the works. Oh, sorry, I, I thought. Uh, so, so I think a number of things have come out from this. Right, like, there's been like a comic book, 
Um, and I, I thought there already was like one TV show. Is, is that the one in production? I think the only TV show existing is the one that's currently in production by the Sci-Fi Network. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. Uh, and and there's been like some video games, I guess. Yeah, there's been two video games for like old systems like Commodore sixty four, Atari. Okay. Amiga. <laughs> yeah, I think this would be a sweet video game to play for sure. Yeah. Yeah, the the concept itself is good. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, I, I think it, it could lend itself really well to a TV show where you can like kind of go into the background of all the different characters and thoughts that are presented. It's it's tough to take something from a novel and and convert it into like a, a two hour film. I mean, I'm sure that's kind of what Clive Barker is struggling with. It it is, and this smacked of that like little hints of ideas that should have been fleshed out more, but just felt crammed into it. Like, yeah. Yep. Stuff that happened where you're like, oh, that felt like it was supposed to be significant, but it wasn't to me. Yep. Exactly. Um, it just like feels yeah. random instead. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You think you'd ever read the book on this one? I would actually read the book. I'm intrigued by the story, but I, yeah. The movie the movie did not pan out for me, but the story <laughs> is intriguing. Yeah, I agree. The movie didn't sell me, but uh, yeah, I, I could see this being a, a great book. Um. And so it was a box office flop. It had a budget budget of eleven million, and it earned eight point nine at the box office. Mm-hmm. Eleven million is a twenty one. If you translate that to today's dollars, is twenty one million. Wow! And tonight we're also talking about Bird Box, and I think that's nineteen million. Oh wow! Okay. So like, this is a bigger budget movie than Bird Box. Yeah, yeah, yep. Well, definitely a lot more effects in this one, right? Yeah, there were a lot of effects. Yeah. I think Bird Box's money probably went towards actors, and this went yeah. towards effects. <laughs> yeah, this one has a lot of effects, and then uh, probably the orchestra for Danny Elfman. I'm sure that that was a pretty big one. Yeah. Although he was he was just starting out, so maybe he wasn't very expensive. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, but his his instrumentation, he's got to have like a like a twenty thirty piece band behind him or something. It's it's crazy. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like a full-on orchestra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he goes big every time. Uh, so so is, is it still considered a, a commercial failure then? It sounds like it hasn't made its money back. I never know how to keep track of money made after the box office is over. Like, I don't know where those stats are or if they're published anywhere. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, it is a cult classic, but... It's, but yeah, it's it's hard for me <laughs> is to it a, imagine it really raked yeah. it in. I know. I wonder if it's like a paying cult or if it's like that that cult that's like just streaming it for free on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and also, that reminds me, there are it sounds like a couple different versions of this movie. Oh, interesting. I think I'm guessing if we both watched it, watched it for free on Amazon Prime that we both saw the same version. Yeah. Yep. Probably. We'll find out if we didn't. Yeah, well, I I read something about like a different ending, um, but is 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 that is that what you mean by the different versions, or is it, is it even beyond that? Yeah, so there's. To be honest, I'm confused. I think the theatrical version had a different ending than the director's cut, and okay. I think what we watched was the director's cut. Oh, okay. Got even it. though it didn't say Amazon had this one, and it also had the director's cut. Oh, no kidding. It has both But on what it? I clicked on wasn't the director's cut, but has the ending that supposedly the director's cut has. I, it's confusing. Yeah. I think there's like three different versions. 
Yeah, wow. That's that's weird. Yeah, I wonder which one we watched. Yeah. Um This movie was pretty nineties in in vibe, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean uh for so I, I think like only maybe what, like the first half hour, I guess, um, you're really like in the context of the like the normal world and then most of the rest of the movie takes place like in, in a rural area at the at a graveyard and stuff, right? Yeah. But uh, so when you, when you say '90s, like you're talking about like that opening, like the band scene, like when she's doing that gig, or or the fashion throughout the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, and the fashion and just like some of the uh, expressions they use. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, like she's she's playing in this rock band that's just super '90s. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if this is '90s or just weird, but in the beginning of the movie, he wakes up from sleeping and he's in tidy whities and a black t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that just felt '90s to sleep in. Yeah, Teddy Whitey's in a black T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I miss those days. <laughs> you could, and then you could this is a shot I don't see very often anymore, but feels very '90s to me. When you have like that shot of the sexy woman that starts at her feet and then like slowly pans uh, up her body. Yeah, <laughs> was that was that at the beginning on her, or was that uh, later on? Yeah, it was pretty close to the beginning. Oh, okay. Oh, that's and like, then, oh yeah, when he's like working at like the in the coal mine <laughs> or whatever yeah. he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like welding or something and she comes in and visits him. Yeah, yep. And then there's a voicemail. You hear Boone's voicemail, the main character, and then he goes, This is Boone, you know what to do. Adios. <laughs> on the voice on the answering machine. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like that, like, you know what to do on the answering machine. It's very nineties. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not your voicemail today. You don't you don't say that? <laughs> I should. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Got to bring that back. Uh, yeah, it's a, totally all all nineties. Uh, the actress is she like actually? I think she's actually a singer in real life, right? She must be because she performed that song. Right. Oh, that was a live performance. Yeah. Oh God, that was a terrible song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she did good, but the song was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. It was like this weird, like alt country song about like uh i want a bad man or something it's pretty yeah pretty crazy yeah. uh yeah it, and uh and then did you recognize like the the main guy uh craig sheffer from anything i didn't i saw he was in a river runs through it and yeah some other movies i didn't really recognize but i i had never he didn't look recognizable to me how about you no he just like yeah he seemed like the typical 90s guy like kind of you know blonde wearing a shirt sometimes etc yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I wear shirts. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty pretty interesting cast and it t- totally nineties feel. I agree. Yeah. Uh, anything else background wise before I drop an Ohio connection and get onto the plot? No, nah, I'm excited to hear the Ohio connection on this one. Kind of a roundabout one again. Um, okay, so the deity that the night breed people or monsters, or whatever you want to call them, worship is called Baphomet. Oh, got it. And I feel like we've heard him referenced in some other horror movies. And in November of 2018, the Satanic Temple sued Netflix for using a statue of Baphomet in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina that was very similar to one that they built and copyrighted a few years ago. Oh, no kidding. They used, yeah, so they used the same guy? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the whole story, but the thing Netflix used, the statue, was very similar to what they built. Wow. Okay, but they called um, it a different name. 
No, they called it Baphomet too, like oh, okay. or Baphomet. Yeah, and Baphomet is like a true, like an actual. Um, he's not a biblical creature, but like, I guess like folklore or occult creature. Mm-hmm. They didn't. The Satanic Temple religion didn't invent him, but yeah, the image that they created was strikingly similar to the one that Netflix created. Oh, okay. So. That happened, and then another thing that the Satanic Temple was also in the news for a few years ago was for, they were like very vocal about threatening Ohio's, uh, a proposed six-week abortion bill in Ohio. The Satanic uh, Temple was against that? Yeah, so the Satanic Temple, from what I understand, I think they're really just like, they don't believe in Satan, and they're not actually Satan worshippers, they just are kind of anti-religion. Oh. They're kind of just like logical people <laughs> or like fighting for logic. So they're de- they're um, a bunch of Democrats? Even though they don't. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Liberals, yeah. I think they're probably libertarian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, That's where they come from. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, if you if you Google Satanic Temple in, the, in news, you might find either of those stories. Oh, wow. Okay. That's my very vague Ohio connection. Nice. Yeah, that's a stretch. That's a good one. Nice job. Yeah, I was trying to decide between that and the uh, now defunct tattoo parlor in Southern Ohio called Nightbreed. <laughs> uh, two very good ones. <laughs> Both a stretch. I'm, I'm surprised we were able to tie those back. Too much time looking yeah. for those ones, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, man. You really do your homework on this. Um, yeah. Hey, where where was this movie shot? Was it Canada? I shoot. I believe it was. Yeah, I I feel or like it may have been some in the UK too. Oh, interesting. The story takes place in Canada. It does, right? Okay. Some sometimes I feel like uh, you know we're talking about the '90s effect. Uh, sometimes I feel like Canada. Uh, amplifies the 90s effect like no one went like as hard 90s as like Canada did or maybe they just did it for a little longer than like the, the US did but you ever get that vibe from Canada? I do and I feel like Canada seeped into pop culture big time in the 90s like yeah yeah Dave Coulier Joey from Full House was Canadian oh wow yeah Jim Carrey was Canadian Alanis Morissette was Canadian yep Are You Afraid of the Dark was a Canadian produced show Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, they really... And uh, I think the other David Cronenberg film also uh, took place in... Videodrome, was that David Cronenberg? Yeah, actually, Cronenberg's from Canada. Oh, there you go, yeah. Yeah, I I think they were pretty influential back then, and and it kind of, like, embodies some of that 90s feeling. Yeah, and I think Clive Barker's English. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, man, well, I just felt a really sharp pain in my neck, so... I think I got to tend to this. Do you mind if we take a quick break for a second? Yeah, man, check it out. Okay. Cool. Be right back. Okay, man, I'm back. It was a uh, a quill, like a porcupine quill, in my neck. Oh man, did it? Uh, do you know like where it came from? So, 
I've never told you this before, but our neighbor is a porcupine lady, and some <laughs> nights she practices firing her quills as projectiles. Oh, she was, looks like uh, she, she kind of missed uh, her target there, huh? Unless she was I aiming she for you. A, a bit of a misfire, yeah. Are you sure? I mean, did you piss her off recently? I mean, we have a good relationship. She signs for my packages. And... <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Glad, glad, glad you're being careful. I feel like one. I should make a quill pun here, but I won't. All right. <laughs> Yeah, you got to watch out for those uh, quill people. <laughs> so none of the monsters in this community, this tribe slash race of creatures or people look at all similar. Yeah, they're all like way different. Uh, yeah. And this, I, I don't know like if in the book, if there's more of a backstory, but like where where do they come from? There's a short scene in this film uh, like where it shows some history of like them getting, you know, banished to this land, but... They never really explain, like, why all these people are monsters, right? They don't, no. They just say, like, they're a different tribe of people that humans have, like, nearly created or nearly caused to go extinct. Yeah. They aren't explained very well. Right. And they can also, like, turn other people into their tribe of people. Oh, yeah. By by biting them? By biting them. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm sure the book paints a bit clearer of a picture but there are many open questions about this group of people and how they work yeah yeah right. they also so. tend to like really want to drink blood or eat people but like only some of them and some of them die in the sunlight but not all of them <laughs> yeah i feel like it kind of crosses some lines between like vampires zombies and then just like kind of some improv stuff going on yeah made up on the spot agreed um this plot is all over the place and i'm probably going to brush over some big not some big stuff, but <laughs> I'm going to try to move stuff. fast on this one. Yeah. So we open with a bunch of creepy paintings on cave walls and Danny Elfman's very like silver screen cinematic score. And then we transition to sh- shots of like a bunch of weird monsters like running through this field. It's very fast and chaotic. And then our main character, Boone, wakes up in his tidy whities and black long sleeve t-shirt, and it's clear that these images were just from a dream he's had. And he starts talking to his girlfriend, Lori, and it's clear from their conversation he's been plagued with stuff like this in the past. He's currently seeing a therapist for it. And at the therapist's office later on, they mention he's been dreaming about a city called Midian that is presumably just something Boone made up in his mind. The therapist also tells him, like, hey, I know that you killed all these people under some sort of, I don't know, psychological trance or breakdown. Mm -hmm. And he has 24 hours to turn himself in for the murders. And he's like, I got you on this tape recorder, like, confessing to all of them. All the details match the details of the stories. And that's when you notice, like, this therapist is David Cronenberg, and his delivery is just super flat. <laughs> and you've also noticed by now it's the 90s from the sleepwear, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> 90s sleepwear. Yeah. And, and I think uh, David Cronenberg at this point also, like, hands him, like, uh, like a, a thing of pills to take, right? He does, yep. Yeah. Like, take these. Like, this will help you. <laughs> yeah, this is what you got to do. Take all these pills. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think prior to this therapist scene, actually, we see a family of three get like brutally murdered by a dude in a very creepy mask. Yeah. I like that mask a lot. Yeah. It's kind of like Sam from trick or treat, but creepier. Yeah. Way creepier. It's like all you can see is the mouth, but like a scrunched up face or something. 
Yeah, it's like a burlap sack with a cutout mouth and like buttons for eyes. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, and and I, I, when when you see that, I think you assume it's like connected to those dreams in the beginning, like it's one of those monsters or something, right? I didn't know what to think of it at that point. Oh, uh, okay. But that scene had a very slasher feel. Yeah, yep. Um, okay, so Boone takes these pills, and he ends up being on this trip and hallucinating, which you assume is just him, part of his condition, this like condition he supposedly has. And he's kind of wondering what to do about the fact that he's a murderer. He there's this really stupid scene where he like takes all these pictures of him and his girlfriend and burns them in his own bedroom. Oh, yeah. He's got like this <laughs> giant bonfire in his bedroom and yeah. he sees like visions of him and his girlfriend being intimate on the bed. <laughs> While this like mischievous Danny Elfman score plays. It's yeah. It's very out of place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's some dude tripping out like with this magical uh score behind him. Yeah. <laughs> So it seems like he decides that he needs to end his life and he steps in front of a bus. The bus stops in time, so he's just hurt and he ends up in a hospital and they tell him, hey, you thought you were taking lithium, but this is actually LSD or some sort of hallucinogen. So as a viewer, your suspicion is aroused Mm -hmm. from this doctor. Um, I mean, I was suspicious in the scene where he hands him a bottle of pills. I mean, that's not, I mean, even for the 90s, that's not what happened, was it? Yeah, you know, I don't know. A psychologist cannot prescribe pills, but a, um, a oh psychiatrist shit, can, I think, yeah. Psychiatrist can. Mm-hmm. I don't know, a psychiatrist can, I would can, guess he... Right? He can, yeah. Yeah. I would guess maybe he just doesn't, like, slide him across the desk, but I don't yeah. know how that works. I think you usually have to think go... you would still have to go to a, <laughs> yeah. uh, a pharmacist. Yeah, yeah, really get some instructions on this. <laughs> but, you know, movies. Yeah, but you're right, yeah, suspicion is aroused on, on what's going on here. Yeah. So um, next to him in the hospital is this dude who's like talking to himself, looking out the window, and he mentions Midian. And so Boone, our main character, hears this dude talking about Midian. He's like, what are you saying? And the dude ends up giving him directions on how to get to Midian. And this dude, I think Narciss is his name, he thinks that Boone is somehow from Midian and is testing him. And he thinks as part of this test, he has to cut off his face to show Boone his true face underneath and just starts cutting off his own scalp. Yeah. Which is disturbing. Yeah, that was a disturbing uh, scene for yeah. sure. This definitely has some, some effective scenes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Boone ends up escaping the hospital in the chaos of like the doctors being like, hey, this dude's cutting his own face off. Um, and so then he drives to Midian to check it out. Meanwhile, you've got the therapist in touch with the police about Boone saying like he's dangerous and the police are taking the therapist. His name's Decker. This is David Cronenberg along with them as they're tracking down Boone. So Boone finds Midian, which is this underground city under a cemetery. He has an encounter with the monsters. One of the monsters is kind of nice and the other one is wanting to eat him and bites him on the shoulder. And Boone tells them he's a murderer and one of the monsters, I feel like, sniffs him or something and says he can smell his innocence. Yeah. So this is another thing where you're like, okay, Boone didn't actually kill these people. Right. It's probably Dr. Decker. So Boone ends up escaping these monsters. He exits the gates of the cemetery only to be encountered by cops and Dr. Decker, who's there with him. And Decker approaches him, gets real close, 
and then like turns to the cops and shouts, he's got a gun and jumps out of the way as the cops just light him up. Oh man, shoot him. like with machine guns and <laughs> it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's like the infantry. So clearly Decker is nefarious. Boone did not have a gun. He was just setting him up to take the fall for these murders and then have him be killed. Um, so I think next Decker is in the morgue and comes to life and escapes. Yeah. And right. the immediate next shot after that is of his girlfriend, Lori in their apartment. And she sees him as a ghost in the apartment mm-hmm. for like two seconds. And then it transitions to a completely different shot. <laughs> it's hard to describe that, but it's like just a prime example of the pacing in this movie. That's just really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the the way uh, she sees him isn't it like a very like throwback '90s kind of scene where like a curtain's blowing and she kind of like sees his image by the window. Yeah, and he's like kind of transparent. Yeah, and shirtless. Yeah, it's very '90s. Yeah, kind of ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of um, ghost exactly. <laughs> yeah, so like that, and that's a problem throughout this movie. The editing, it's just like that scene should have been at least ten seconds longer. Yeah. Like, it wasn't supposed to be a long scene, but you did it so fast that it made no sense. Yeah, you're kind of wondering, like, what what just happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, Boone escapes the morgue, returns to Midian, finds his long-haired buddy who cut the scalp out, his scalp off, and gets inducted into Midian as one of the night breed in a ceremony involving the blood of Baphomet. And apparently this dude, Narciss, who's cut his scalp off, is now a night breed, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, his girlfriend Lori's investigating Midian and trying to find Boone. She makes a friend at a bar who's like, hey, I'll help you find him. And then they go to the cemetery. Lori goes in, finds this weird dying wolf looking thing and returns it to its mother, who is a monster, a night breed. And this is how Lori kind of gets an in with somebody in Midian. And and that was like one of the creepier things we had seen so far, like that, that uh, wolf or that, that, yeah, that dying I don't even know how to describe it. Like that, it was kind of like a, a dog or like a dying dog or something. Yeah, it looked like half dog, half person. Like it was strange. It was unsettling. Yeah, right. But as soon as she um, takes it inside, it like kind of turns into uh, like a human girl. Yeah, yeah, it does. Good catch. <laughs> um, and so I think Lori is trying to get into Midian, but they won't take her. And then Boone is like, I've got to go get her, and they. Or, like, you choose her over Midian then, and he leaves to go get her. She gets back to the car and finds that her friend has been murdered by Dr. Decker. And then he's basically going to kill her or use her as bait to get Boone out of hiding because he really wants to kill Boone. Um, Boone ends up having a confrontation with him, but he can't be killed now because he's already dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, Boone turns into, like, a werewolf face type monster for a reason that maybe is explained in the book but isn't in the movie. Yeah. Um, let's see. So Dr. Decker somehow escapes. I'm already feeling like I'm going into more detail than this plot deserves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty nuanced and complicated here. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, uh, don't, don't uh, Decker and, and uh, like Decker's trying to kill her in the cemetery but then, uh, like, Boone, like, saves her, right? Like, he goes against what uh, the monsters are, like, telling him to do this and, like, you can't expose us, but he, like, gets out there and saves her somehow. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then meanwhile, um, Dr. Decker kind of like rallies the local sheriff's department and gets like a militia of townspeople to like go after these monsters and kill them. Mm-hmm. And Boone comes back to Midian and is like, hey, like we've got to fight these people. Like I'm one of you now. Um, so somehow it ends up in this giant battle. I'm skipping over some stuff because I just want to. Um, it ends with this giant battle of like the militia and the sheriff's department versus the night breed. Um, and one thing that's pretty stupid is that Decker, Dr. Decker is just treated by the police. Like as if they're like listening to him, like he's the chief of police. (laughs) Yeah. He's like with them on like every crime scene and they're like following his lead on everything. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. He's, he's like a psychiatrist, not a, like an undercover cop or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So but, but, in this battle, the creature, oh, go ahead. Oh, but, but like, meanwhile, he's like still like killing everyone. Like he's still like putting on that mask, like going around, like slashing people left and right. But then he's also like front and center with the police. It's kind of funny. Yeah. And he'll like, he kills one guy, like within view of the police. <laughs> yeah. <insane. laughs> You're talking about like the police officer he kills like in front of the police. Yeah. He's just like so careless. He's I just know. killing everybody for no reason. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so in this battle, the creatures who are the Nightbreed are on full exhibition. There's the porcupine lady. There's like this dude with tentacles that come out of his stomach. There's a lady who turns into mist. There's like a guy with a head in his stomach. It's just all sorts of kooky, creepy, weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we see a lot of their like underground world, um, which, which is- reminds me a lot of the world of Little Monsters. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, no, I never saw that one. But it's a pretty elaborate, like, huge world under there, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is, with, like, rope bridges and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, there's this big battle, and it becomes clear. <laughs> there's a scene, basically, where he goes to the leader of, of the Nightbreed, Boone does, and he's like, come on, because, like, the leader looks hopeless, and he's like, there's no hope. Yeah. He's like, how can you say that? And he goes, take a look for yourself. And Boone looks in this boiling water and sees that their underground lair is going to explode. Oh, is that what he saw in there? It was like two seconds, dude. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I had to rewind it. (laughs) Yeah. It was so dumb. We had never before known that this guy could like see the future. (laughs) In this water, yeah. 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 So ultimately the battle ends with Nightbreed having the upper hand on the humans and there's a showdown between Decker and Boone. Boone wins by stabbing Decker with this giant knife that's been, Boone's been impaled by Decker with this giant knife. But since he's dead already, it doesn't hurt him and then he just like walks up to to Decker and stabs him with the knife that's already in his body. (laughs) Um, And then Boone confronts Baphomet, the deity, and Baphomet says, you've destroyed Midian as foretold in the prophecies. No home lasts forever, but it's now your duty to build the Nightbreed a new home. Hey, was and he, he renames Boone Cabal. Was uh, was that guy pissed? Or he was just like, this was going to happen anyway? I think Baphomet was like, that was exact. yeah, that was going to happen anyway. Okay. Like, I think some of the art on the walls in their lair, like, was pointing to that happening. Oh, uh, okay, okay, got it. It was like a prophecy. Yeah. Got it. And then it ends with Lori. Boone's trying to break up with Lori. Like, I have this duty to Nightbreed now. 
and she is like no and kills herself so that he'll bring her back like bite her and turn her into nightbreed so they can be together right and that happens and then they go off into the sunset to find <laughs> nightbreed a new home as the weird monsters are watching them leave yeah <laughs> yeah uh uh yeah one one scene uh i mean i i thought one of the better sequences in this um is like when she's at the uh, at the cemetery. It, there's like a, a 10, 15 minute sequence where she's just like exploring all the layers under uh, the cemetery in in that uh, in the Nightbreed whatever layer. And yeah, I, I, I thought that was a pretty cool uh, sequence. That's kind of where you see all the the monsters and stuff. Yeah, I think that's like the first true exhibition of like all the different creatures. Yeah, in the lair. Right. It's kind right. of a yeah. Practical effects showcase. Yeah, exactly. That was, was kind of entertaining to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is good creature design for sure. Yeah, the berserkers that pop up at the end to like save yeah, the day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there were some elements of this movie that I appreciated, but like as a whole, it was a mess. Yeah, it sounds like where the challenge really is like the editing and like the storylines that don't really go together, um, or, or like the, yeah, just how random some of these scenes were. Um, cause yeah, otherwise you're right. I mean like the, the, some of the, the effects are pretty cool. The monsters are pretty cool looking and, um, I, I don't know. It was just, you know, it was a pretty okay story at the heart of it. Yeah. And like, I would have definitely watched a movie about a therapist who's a murderer who's trying to convince one of his patients that he's the murderer. Yeah. That could have been a good movie on its own. Yeah. And I definitely would have watched a movie about a guy who like, comes in contact with this like underground community <laughs> but yeah. like it was the same movie and it just didn't make any sense at all for it to be the same yeah community. both both storylines same movie exactly both storylines felt really rushed and I, I wasn't really sure what uh the connection was like why was Deckler um so bent on like finding um you know this fictional town or like you know the, these people and destroying them it was a very weak connection like his only mission was to kill Boone so that Boone couldn't like incriminate him somehow and then he once he found out about Nightbreed he was like this whole thing has been leading me to my higher purpose I need to destroy the Nightbreed oh <laughs> really that's how... just like what why yeah yeah I didn't realize that was it I thought he was purposely going after anyone who was like associated with Nightbreed and like that family he kills like I assumed like maybe they had some associated with Nightbreed because remember the other patient that's in the hospital in the beginning that Boone is talking to who cuts off his face, he's, like, with Nightbreed, supposedly, and then um, the doctor goes and, like, kills him somehow. Um, so I thought he was, like, kind of going after any Nightbreed people. But you, th- you think he just kind of discovered it through Boone and, like, made it that his new, like, target? I think so, man, but it's it's anybody's guess, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the book lays it out more clearly. I would hope so. <laughs> That's pretty flimsy. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, I agree. Like, uh, I, I liked uh, both stories separately, but together it was just uh, garbage stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think, man? One, zero to five uh, dudes sleeping in tidy whities <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I, think, I think I have to give this a one. Like, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that scary for me, and I, I think the combination of stories didn't work. The plot was, like, all over the place. Um, even the acting, uh, yeah, Cronenberg was just, like, so flat, uh, which at times worked for his like, kind of, like, psychotic, uh, you know, ca- serial killer vibe. But other times it was just, like, you know, you, you got to have some emotion or something. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah, and then the score was just, I thought, you know, it's so unaligned with the rest of the movie. So, yeah, I'd only give, like, one uh, tidy-whitey black shirt pajama outfit. What about you? Yeah, i give it a one, too, man. It was, even though the creature design was good, like, I didn't necessarily like that aspect of it. Like, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm not, like... I like practical effects a lot, but I don't like that doesn't make the movie for me. Yeah. And yeah, even though the concepts were good, some like the like how we said each of those could separately be a good movie, they were so muddled together that you couldn't even like I couldn't even find enjoyment in either one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I I, think, I wonder if it had taken itself less seriously, um, if they you know, this would have had a different market or different appeal. Um, I, did you feel like this movie took itself pretty heavy? Like it, it was supposed to be like a heavy movie? I think so. Like some of the monsters were a little like ju- quippy yeah. kind of like, um, but I think it still took itself kind of seriously. Like, yeah, the dramatic moments were still supposed to feel dramatic. Sure. Sure. But they, they didn't, you didn't have really any investment or care in any of the characters. Exactly. Either. Yeah. There were just so many that, yeah, I didn't know where to start. Yeah, I mean, there was just too much crammed in this movie. Not only were there two separate plot lines, but there was just a lot of unnecessary scenes. You had, like, this five-minute scene of this one cop who was, like, super into all the guns they were going to use for this (laughs) invasion. And it was just like, who is this guy? Why do I care? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Went on way too long. Yeah, yeah, that went a long time. Uh, The scene where, like, she's singing at a a club goes on way too long. Yep. you know what a funny scene was? Did you see that one where David Cronenberg, he's like sitting at a table uh, and it's just like got a bunch of knives on it, like really nicely laid out knives. And he's like just talking on the phone with someone. I, I think they're just trying to like show him as like the psychotic uh, yeah. killer. But that, that was so funny. <laughs> and it's so random. <laughs> and it's like all of that was time you could have spent like explaining what the hell's going yeah. on in this movie. Yeah. Getting you to like give, get a, give a shit about like one of the characters. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. It it would be cool. I, I mean, I, I think in a TV series format, this this could work it because maybe they'll give more time and depth to each of the characters and the storylines. Uh, that that might be their best format for this. Yeah, I would I'd watch that. I'd watch that movie. I might even read the, uh, the book. when they did the director's cut in nineteen oh when did twenty fourteen I think they released like a twelve issue comic. Yeah, um, that could be interesting too. They did a four issue comic in the original nineteen ninety release, but oh cool. I would guess maybe you need 12 issues for this, <laughs> all this bloat. Yeah, I bet, I bet. Um, and I'm surprised there was never a sequel done, uh, given like where the story ends. Yeah, I think it was because it was such a giant flop that they were like, no way. <laughs> we're never doing this again. <laughs> yeah, I know, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, man, well, you got anything else on this one? Uh, no. <laughs> Glad we uncovered another one from the past... Yeah, another horror cult classic that I think some fans might get their feathers ruffled over, but it's hard to deny this is a mess. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear the argument for like why this movie deserves anything more than what we give it. I would too. Yeah. Um, on that note, folks, we hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you want to present an argument about why this is a good movie, feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on Horror Movie Club Podcast on Facebook. We're at Horror Movie Pod on Twitter. You can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. And check Facebook or Twitter for next week's movie in case you want to watch it before the next episode. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. I could see her liking this movie. <laughs> we should ask her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
check Amy out on Etsy.com, Amy May Pop Art. And until next time, if you discover that your therapist is secretly giving you hallucinogens, um, just roll with the punches because Baphomet has a bigger plan for you. 